0: Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present
1: sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby.
0: All right, thanks for joining us on the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Our guest this episode is Kevin Halloran. He blogs at kevinhalloran.net. He serves in a missions organization called Leadership Resources International. You may have seen some of the stuff he's written at the Gospel Coalition, at For the Church, at Unlocking the Bible, and other websites. And today we're going to be talking to Kevin about prayer. So Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks
1: for having me, Clay.
0: Would you mind uh, just maybe introducing yourself a little bit, talking about your ministry, the resources you have on your own website, just anything you'd like the listeners to know?
1: Yeah. Like I said, it's a pleasure to be on the Reasonable Theology podcast little bit about me. I'm a husband and a father. My wife and I just had our first uh, child a couple months ago, a little girl named Sadie, and we are thrilled to be parents and also a little tired. As, yeah. As you said that, you know, because you guys have a newborn too, but uh, yeah, my joy is filled. Um, yeah, I've been a blogger uh, on my blog, net for maybe about five or six years, and my desire is to share resources and ideas to uh, impact the church and to build up the church with truth uh, and encourage the church to uh, pursue Christ with greater intensity. And like you said, I serve with a missions organization called Leadership Resources International. We train pastors in about 50 countries to read and preach scripture. And we believe as an organization that the greatest need of the global church is to hear and obey God's word. And we think that the biggest impact we can have on the world uh, is to train pastors to preach God's word faithfully, but also equip them to train others in their congregation and other pastors in their community to teach and preach scripture as well. I was in Mexico a few months ago, and after a training in the book of Ruth, one of the pastors came up to me and uh, just filled with joy and excitement. And he said, you know, there are lots of great trainings and lots of great conferences uh, that come here, but you guys you guys have given us tools we can use in our ministry, and we can even share them with others. And I told them, brother, that's that's exactly what we want to do. We want to equip you. We want to help your ministry be more centered on God's Word, and we want to help you equip others because that's what God wants for you and your church. That's wonderful. And so for me, it's such a, a great joy just to see people just come to life as they encounter uh, God's living and abiding Word. Uh, and our ultimate goal as a ministry is to see a self-sustaining, indigenous-led movement of God's word uh, in each country where we work. Um, and it's yeah encouraging to see people grow in confidence of God's word, of the power of God's word, and also their confidence in preaching themselves. So that's a little bit about our ministry, Leadership Resources. You can learn more about us at leadershipresources.org.
0: Excellent. And we'll be sure to uh, link over to Leadership Resources, link over to your website. Uh, so you can check that out in the show notes for this episode, reasonabletheology.org slash episode 12. Oh, thank you. So you had a, a, a blog post on your website, and it was called Five On Ramps to Joyful Prayer. And that's where we're going to focus our time on is, is helping folks think about how to improve their prayer life could you maybe talk about some of the roadblocks, some of the challenges that we typically face in the prayer life of a believer?
1: Absolutely. I think for me personally, one of the biggest roadblocks is to, to be thinking too much about my prayer life instead of thinking about God himself. Because when I think about my prayer life, that typically discourages me. You know, I don't pray like I think I should. I don't pray like God probably wants me to. But focusing on that, like I said, discourages me. But as I think about God and his glory and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, that encourages me to pray. As I think about the great invitations he's given us us in scripture to pray and to come before him, that encourages me. It's like when you are on a phone call with a family member, you don't focus on the telephone wires that are connecting you. I mean, that may be an outdated illustration, but you know what I'm saying? You focus on the family member. You focus on your relationship with them, your history, who they are, what's going on in their lives, and, and that should be kind of our focus with God. And so I think one roadblock is just uh, thinking too much about prayer when we should be thinking about God himself and his invitation t- to us to pray. I think another roadblock that, well, it's definitely one that tripped me up for a long time and trips up many people, and that's guilt. Uh, We don't pray because we feel guilty. I think this comes in a couple different strands. We don't pray sometimes because we think our prayer life isn't good enough. (laughs) We don't pray because we don't pray and we feel guilt. In addition to guilting ourselves about prayer itself, we also feel guilty because of other sins. We don't feel close to God, keep falling again and again, and we don't think God accepts us. But my encouragement to the believer is... That that's not the gospel, right? In uh, Genesis three, it's interesting that at the beginning of the passage, after Adam and Eve fallen into into sin, they hide from God. They hide from His presence, and then God hands out punishments for sin. God expels them from His presence. So our uh, separation from God is both willing and unwilling in a way. God bars us barred Adam and Eve off from the garden. And in Christ, we're not barred off from God's presence anymore. We can commune with God by the Spirit because of what Christ has done. And so we don't need to hide anymore. We don't need to hide when we have sin. We can bring it out into the light. We can come to God again in confidence because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done on the cross. And I love how Hebrews 4 puts it. And when we have sin, that is obviously a time of need, but there is grace and there is one who has been tempted as we are yet is without sin and we can approach God confidently because of Christ. And that's a a basic gospel truth applied to prayer. But I think when we really understand what Christ has done, guilt won't derail our prayer lives. It'll actually drive us to pray more because we can believe the gospel we can know that Christ took the penalty for our guilt, and that he you know Christ died to save sinners, right, as the apostle paul said, and hey, I'm a sinner, so I qualify for god's grace so that was really a game changer for me, understanding that guilt should push me toward prayer
0: yeah, that's a good word to really i mean to trust those gospel promises when we need the promise of the gospel the most when we're when we're in guilt and we're in uh, shame from having committed a sin. Don't run from God, recognize the the joyful opportunity that we have to approach God.
1: Yeah, and as Titus 2 says, as we learn God's grace, it it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to live righteously. So if we want to grow, if we don't want to keep doing the same sins over and over, if we want to grow in grace, we need to recognize our sin but recognize God. Christ pays the penalty and that we can still approach God. That's part of the sanctification process, a crucial part. That's great. Another roadblock I'll mention is that of stress. I think, especially in the uh twenty first century, with everything we have going on, with all the different things competing for our attention, with you know, the schedules of our families, we're all so busy. I think I think we just live in a generally anxious age. And I know for me, different times I've been stressed, whether about something in ministry or, you know, maybe a job I have to complete or maybe a a relationship conflict, I go to God in prayer, but several times I've realized that my prayer was actually making me more anxious. It was a struggle for me. You know, I I know I'm off base somewhere if prayer is only making me more anxious. And in those times I realized, okay, Kevin, you are basically, your prayers are basically just meditating on your own thoughts you need you need some new air in the room. You can't just keep breathing the same air over and over and over again. In, in that situation or situations, I realized that if I inject more of God's word into my thinking, to shape my thinking, to really lift my eyes up from only thinking about myself and to think about God's perspective, that kind of opens the window and lets more air in the room. And that really helps me Uh, be relieved of this anxiety and enter God's peace. Uh, And so that's one way I've kind of overcome the roadblock of stress. Uh, And it makes sense. You know, God's word is powerful and we need it. We need to shape our minds, renew our minds in its truth. Uh, Another roadblock I'll mention is that of motives. James 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it's very clear that wrong motives can keep us from answered prayer. I think that goes for uh, when we ask the wrong things for the wrong reasons. But I think it actually works as well when we ask for the right things with the wrong reasons. Hmm. Scripture is pretty clear that our, our hearts are sinful. We should really suspect ourselves whenever possible. And I think that that includes prayer. And so often we can ask for for good things, but for wrong reasons. I know I've been tempted to pray prayers that are more lord let my kingdom come instead of let your kingdom come prayers that want to exalt myself or make my life easier when you know god often assigns to us the way of the cross and that's a good thing because that's that's following in christ and his steps because he took the cross so i think we constantly need to examine ourselves and examine our motives
0: so what what solutions are there? How can we kind of get back on the road in terms of a joyful prayer life if we find ourselves continually hitting these roadblocks?
1: I think there are some some practices that if we build into our lives and into our prayer lives, they'll kind of, you know, a lot of dominoes will fall over if we do these things. And one of them is just uh, responding to God's word in prayer. Uh, and if God's word is God speaking to us, prayer is us responding to him. And if we want the right motives, you know, we can pray scripture back to God, asking him for the things that he wants for us, asking him uh, for help to live the way that he wants us to. And that's, that's something that's incredibly helpful. I think also praying with other people regularly, whether in a small group or, a special prayer meeting at church, or even just, you know, you're meeting a friend for coffee and you're both believers. And that's a great way to encourage others and to grow in prayer. You know, why not invite God into your friendship and ask him to, to grow you, ask him to do great things. You know, I think a lot of times, like like it says in James 4 as well, we have not because we ask not. If we ask God for great things and and just constantly come to him in prayer, even if we don't know exactly why or what we're going to say just you know rejoice in who he is i think that brings much glory to god and and really our relationship with god is the most important things in our thing in our life and so we want to we want to develop that we want to grow in him not just so he can answer prayer and make our life easier you know we want to know god and we have the privilege of that in jesus christ
0: yeah, I like that, and especially what you said about the community aspect. I think so many areas of our faith, we we too often neglect the value we have in community with other believers. And I think it was D.A. Carson that said the only way we can learn to pray is by praying with people who know how to pray. I think that can be such a huge benefit, so I'm glad you mentioned that, that community aspect. What is that first on-ramp? that can help us get on the right track in improving our prayer lives?
1: Yeah, the first on-ramp I mention is to meditate on God as your Father. And this really is is something that was a game-changer in my prayer life. God is not a wish-granting genie. God is not a harsh judge. He's not an impersonal higher being, like some ministries may teach. And, And really... So many Christians act like God was a genie or a judge or just a mere higher being, a a force, instead of a father who knows everything about them and loves them. We didn't do anything to deserve his love. We were his enemies. We were slaves to sin uh, who transgressed his law, deserving of his punishment, and yet he chose to welcome us into his family in Christ. And Ephesians one five is uh, from one of my favorite passages of the Bible, and it says... In love, he, who's God the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And this is uh, before the foundation of the world. God knew we would be part of his family, and he loves us as a son. We don't have to earn his approval. We have his approval because of Jesus Christ.
0: I think a lot of us that are raised in Christian context or have been Christians for a number of years— we forget how wonderfully unique the, the Judeo-Christian mindset is of God as Father. That's something that other religions don't even have a concept of, and yet that's how we're encouraged to think about God as our loving Father, not like you say, just a wish-granting genie, not as uh, someone that you have to be constantly afraid of or don't know how to please or anything like that, but we've got a loving Father in God, thankfully, uh, through Jesus Christ. And I think that's an important on-ramp for people to have. What's the second on-ramp?
1: Yeah, the second on-ramp is to confess your sins, and I touched on this a little bit earlier when I was talking about how guilt can impede our prayer lives, but really learning To confess regularly is such a healthy practice for us in our relationship with God, for us as we try and be people who believe and live the gospel in every dimension of life. And there's a a verse that you may have memorized before, and if you don't have it memorized, I highly recommend you memorize it. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an invitation. If you feel bad, if you feel like you can't approach God because of what you've done, you can. Because of Jesus, you can confess he is faithful and just and he will forgive and he will cleanse you. There's no qualifications on that verse. If we confess he is faithful. And that's such a a wonderful encouragement to me and and really encourages me to confess as much as possible. And if you look at the Lord's prayer and Matthew 6, confession is part of it. The prayer model I like to follow, uh, maybe some of your listeners have heard of it, Acts, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Confession is built into how we need to pray. And There's a a really wonderful quote uh, from John Calvin from the Institutes where he, he talks about confession. He says, The beginning and even the preparation of proper prayer is the plea for pardon with a humble and sincere confession of guilt. And he goes on on to say, It is no wonder if believers open for themselves the door to prayer with this key. I don't know about you, Clay, but so often in, in my time following the Lord, I felt locked out of the door to prayer. And Calvin describes confession as a key. And I've found that in my own prayer life.
0: What an important thing for us to remember, and I am absolutely certain there's no Christian that hasn't had the thought of, I feel like I ought to pray, but I can't pray because I just sinned. And when you look at the, the gospel promises throughout Scripture in black and white, I mean, that's clearly a foolish thought, it's not in keeping with who we are in Christ, and yet we all fall into that trap over and over and over again. So I think it's so key that you mentioned to, to memorize that verse and other verses like it. How about on-ramp number three? If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord, so check it out at chspurgeon.com.
1: On-ramp number three is to pray prayers that God loves to answer. We know God has certain desires for us. God has certain desires for this world. He says so in his word. And if we pray in according with that, there are a number of scriptures that give us confidence that God will answer. One of my favorite verses uh, that relates to this is James 1.5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him that that encouraged me so much, and i I really apply it in so many situations. i'm going into a a meeting that is stressing me out a little bit. Lord give me wisdom I'm having a tough conversation with someone at church or maybe a family member. Lord, would you give me wisdom to say the right things and, and not the wrong things? Lord, would you give me wisdom as I try and plan out my life and try and raise? my kids, would you give me wisdom? And God promises that he will give it to us in abundance. He will give it to us generously. And all we need to do is ask in faith. That's good. And uh, another type that uh, related to that, um, related to this whole topic is to pray according to God's will. And there are several places in scripture that mention if we pray according to God's will, he will hear us. And That makes sense because God is accomplishing things in this world and God wants certain things to happen. And if we reply to God, Lord, you want me to be holy? Please help me be holy. Lord, you want me to have a renewed mind and set apart life, as it says in Romans 12? Lord, would you please help that? And would you please show me the ways that that my current way of thinking and my current life is impeding that, impeding your purposes? Lord, would you help me be a a a great testimony in, in the workplace for you? God wants that and he wants to answer it. And so if we pray in according uh in accordance with God's will, which is revealed in Scripture, I think we will we will see our prayer life grow and I think we will see our relationship with the Lord grow, maybe in ways that we had never imagined.
0: Yeah, I think I heard a, a helpful illustration once. I don't recall where it comes from, but in regards to Prayer and God's will is this mental image that's really been impactful for me is is a guy in a boat in the middle of a lake, and he's got a rope tied to a tree, and he's pulling, and he's not pulling shore to him. He's pulling himself towards the shore, and I, I think that's helpful in thinking about, okay, what's happening in prayer is – is the deeper we get in prayer, the more aligned we get in our, you know, our walk with Jesus. Is we're actually aligning our prayers with God's will, not the other way around. And I think that's a helpful way to think of it. And I, I see you touching that, touching on that here.
1: Yeah, I saw, uh, or I'm reading a book by Martin Lloyd Jones, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, and there was a passage that just kind of hit me over the the side of the head. Uh, and he was talking about how so many of our struggles in life are due to our focus on ourselves and not to what God wants. And that relates to what you were saying. It's so, so simple, but we can try and mold God into the image we want him to have for our vision of our lives. But God really isn't interested in that. When we realize that, we align ourselves with his will and his purposes. We won't be, you know, we won't be trying to pull the shore to us. We won't be trying to swim upstream. We'll be swimming with the current and and that'll give us a lot of joy and prayer won't be uh, a burden. It won't be a frustration. It'll, it'll be great. Something we enjoy doing, something we realize, wow, God is really listening to me and he's doing great things through this prayer.
0: That's great. And you mentioned in your article some of the things that, that are God's will. God's will is for us to be sanctified, to be renewed and set apart, to bear fruit, uh, to have the grace to please Christ in our daily lives and for joy. So there's lots of things that we know from Scripture are God's will. You also uh praying the Bible's prayers. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, there are many prayers that we see in Scripture that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down by maybe a, a psalmist. Uh, the Apostle Paul has so many great prayers scattered, scattered throughout his letters. And I just love praying God's word right back to him because so often I'm asking for things that I would never have considered praying before. And I'll share one example. It's perhaps, besides uh, the prayers of Christ, perhaps my favorite prayer in all of Scripture. And that's from the second half of Ephesians 1. And if you know the first half of Ephesians 1, I mean, Paul just goes on one huge, long sentence, just praising God for all the amazing things we have in Christ. It's uh, just some of the most glorious riches of the gospel described on paper are in Ephesians one. And I realized at one point in my life, you know, I could read that part of Ephesians one and it wouldn't really hit me. You know, I I knew I should love these truths, but I don't really love them and it's not really doing much for me, but it's encouraging to see what Paul does after he presents those truths. He prays really that they would become real to the experience uh, of the believer. Paul prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope which, which with which God has called us, that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, which is another way of saying to know God's great love for us. We are his inheritance. We are his special treasure on earth. And also to know his immeasurably, immeasurably great power toward us who believe. And so Paul is praying amazing gospel that these amazing gospel truths would come home and root in our lives and that we would understand the power of God at work in our lives and the power available to us and I, I try to pray that pray that prayer as much as possible because I need it because so often I can my heart you know it's, it's like the earth has a huge magnet and my heart is just focused on uh, this world if I'm not really consistently in faith lifting my soul to God and and that helps me remember the gospel riches that we have and so yeah my encouragement to listeners is when you come across a prayer in scripture in maybe one of the epistles of Paul or you know the psalms are wonderful as I mentioned pray those make it your habit to pray scripture make it your habit to write down great prayers from scripture and pray them repeatedly Maybe even memorize them and incorporate that into your regular routine of prayer. And it'll enrich your spiritual life.
0: That's great. And we've got, uh, on an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking to somebody about the, the value and how to go about praying the Psalms. And I think that'll kind of tie into what you're saying here. So on-ramp number three, pray prayers that God loves to answer. On-ramp number four, give thanks. Can you tell us more
1: about that? Absolutely. I mentioned Philippians 4 earlier, one of the really most popular passages of Scripture. It says, "In with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, that is how we can be freed from anxiety and enter into God's perfect peace. So thanksgiving is a crucial part of that. Um, I have a friend who's in a small group I've been a part of for about six or seven years, I think, and he has a phrase that he always uses in prayer that really encourages me and and, and you know, giving thanks is embedded underneath this phrase. He he says, Lord, we do not deserve the good gift of fill in the blank. Maybe it's friends or fellowship, or sometimes it's even coffee and <laughs> a good time together. Uh, we do not deserve the good gift of a, a great gospel-centered church. Uh, we do not deserve the good gift of family. And he acknowledges to God truth. And we live in a very entitled age and giving thanks kind of combats that entitlement. You know, we do not deserve any of those good gifts God has given us. We do not deserve salvation in Christ and forgiveness of sins. We do not deserve that Christ paid our penalty, something we could never pay, but God gives it to us in Christ. And uh, there's a wonderful example of giving thanks uh, that I included in the article that I'll read again, just because I love it so much. (laughs) It's from uh, the Bible commentator Matthew Henry, and one day he had his wallet stolen. And I know it'd be a temptation for me if my wallet was stolen to start the litany of complaints. He said, I am thankful that he never robbed me before. I am thankful that although he, speaking of the robber, took my wallet, he did not take my life. He also said, although he took all I had, it was not much. And I'm glad that it was I who robbed and not I who did the robbing. So Henry's really keeping a a the vision that God has on his situation in mind. And as we think about what God has done for us in Christ and what God does for us every single day, the little graces and gifts he gives us, we do not deserve any of it. And that should lead us to, to give thanks and it's no wonder that Paul uh, says that it's God's will for us to be giving thanks always in First Thessalonians five. It's just so near and dear to the heart of God. And think of Romans one, where Paul describes the sin of a of a rebellious culture, the sins of a rebellious culture, and not giving thanks to God is in there with some of the grossest sins of you know denying your own nature and worshiping the created thing rather than the Creator. Thanksgiving restores us to God's perspective in life, and uh, we should give thanks at all times.
0: Absolutely. So on-ramp number four is give thanks. As we wrap up here, on-ramp number five, meditate on the promises of God.
1: I chose this as the fifth on-ramp just because of how powerful it can be. And I heard an illustration, I think it was John Piper, he was talking about how sometimes we feel so disconnected from God's power we know God is powerful we see what he did in maybe the book of exodus uh rescuing israel from egypt and leading them uh through the red sea and it's amazing and and then we think well you know is god going to do similar things in my life in this situation it doesn't seem like it but really one way that we can connect ourselves to god's power is just by believing his promises meditating on his promises and praying his promises back to him and John Piper describes uh, faith in God's promises that are like power lines between a power plant and our home. You know, they're what channel God's power to us. Let me explain a little bit more what I I mean. Uh, Because God has done amazing things for us in Jesus Christ. Things more amazing than we could even think or imagine and and for all of eternity we're going to rejoice and it's going to sink home more and more His greatness to us. Uh, but for some of the promises he's given us, we, we haven't seen the completion of it. We haven't seen the fulfillment. And so we need to trust and believe. And uh, I think of Abraham in Genesis 15. God gives Abraham amazing promises. The Abrahamic covenant. Promises that he would become a great nation. Promises that he would have uh, land. Promises that he would be blessed and be a blessing to the entire world. And it says Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed the promises of God, and he didn't see his promises, or God. Uh, he he didn't receive the promises of God, but he responded to God's promises in faith. Another passage I'll mention is Second Samuel seven, where God makes a covenant with David. God promises to build him a uh, house that will be eternal an eternal kingship. And David responds in prayer, a prayer of gratitude, a prayer responding to God, telling God the promises that he just gave to David right back to God. And I love uh, I love how David ends his prayer. So in 2 Samuel seven twenty-five, he says, And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. So David is trusting God He is asking God to be good on his promises. And we know that God can be, and God will be. And then David goes on further a couple verses later. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. So as we trust in God's promises and remember all that he's given us already, but all that he will give us, that gives us courage to pray. And a lot of times that's what we're lacking in prayer when we don't. We're not praying as we would like and we don't have the joy. We need to remember and savor the gospel riches that we have. And I I was thinking about it yesterday. So often we forget just the importance of faith in God's promises in our daily lives. We want God to fix all our problems. We want everything to be uh, right. And then we want to go on doing our own thing. But God wants us to trust him every step of the way. And he's given us amazing promises that we can hold on to and cling to. And as we do that, we'll grow in prayer and that'll deepen our joy in our amazing God.
0: That's fantastic. And so if if our listeners are like many Christians and they feel like they do have roadblocks in their prayer life and would like to overcome those roadblocks, just really commend this article to you. We'll link to that in the show notes at org slash episode 12. And those on-ramps of meditating on God as our Father, confessing our sins, praying prayers that God loves to answer, uh, meditating on the promises of God, giving thanks. I just encourage them to to consider these and apply them to their own prayer life. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Where can folks go to learn more about you and maybe check out some additional resources that you've put together?
1: Yeah, the, my website's The Best Place, which is www.kevinhalloran.net you can also connect with me on Facebook and Twitter Uh, those are probably the best places
0: excellent well our guest today has been Kevin Halloran and we have been talking about five on ramps to a joyful prayer life Kevin thank you so much for being our guest
1: thanks so much for having me Clay Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting to pick in a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I have found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.